up, everyone? Welcome to Desolation Radio. It's Dan and Nate. Hiya. And we have a special guest, Mr. Sam Parry. What's happening? Sam is the AM, UKIP AM for... <laughs> <I'm Cardiff joking. laughs> no, so today we're going to be talking about UKIP and its rise in Wales. And Sam is, I guess, our resident expert on UKIP. He's written some really good stuff on it. So we're going to bring him on, hopefully, regularly, uh, to talk about it. He's, you can't see him because it's on a podcast, but he's got a really nice haircut. Yeah, I got it done today during my lunch break. He looks like a Spanish footballer, I think. Yeah. You like it? No, it's nice. It's, it's just my hair's all this trash, so, yeah. Don't hate luck. Yeah, I just don't want to get into it, really. You know? It's just, just doesn't matter. It's a sensitive well. subject. Okay, so UKIP's rise in Wales has been sort of meteoric. They've won seven seats, well, now down to six, we'll get into that, uh, in the Assembly elections, which is 12.5% of the vote in the Assembly. Before that... In 2015, in the general election, they won 13.6% of the vote in Wales, uh, which is second only to England, where they won 14.1%. To put that in comparison, you know, in Scotland, UKIP only won 1.6% of the vote, and in Northern Ireland, they only won 2.6% of the vote. So they're the only party to win electoral representation in Wales that weren't represented in 1999. So they've gained more AMs than the Lib Dems have ever managed. Take that, Kirsty Williams. Yeah, so <laughs> who's now a part of the cabinet? So yeah, she played that well, didn't yeah, she? Yeah, very well. So, despite winning, they kind of went into sort of disarray, didn't they? Because the leader of the of UKIP in in Wales, Nathan Gill, was then deposed by Neil Hamilton, who's like the classic like Machiavellian. Well, he villain. hasn't been deposed as leader of UKIP in Wales. He's still the leader of UKIP in Wales. Right. So Where's Nathan Gill. Right, so, so Nathan Gill. <laughs> is the leader of UKIP in Wales, but he now sits in the Assembly as an independent. Neil Hamilton is the leader of UKIP in the Assembly. Yeah. Right, okay. So... They've got John Custody, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> once, once every, like, other weekend. <laughs> How gutted would he be if you're Nathan Gill? Like, hey, good job, Nate. But, you know, I'll take it from here. Uh, <laughs> like, not? And not only that, it's like, it's Neil Hamilton. It's Neil yeah, Hamilton. Some I mean, like, disgraced politician who doesn't even live in Wales just kind of comes in like, cheers lad, I'll take it off from you. That's I most mean, of Welsh politics. The <laughs> thing is, you know when people are like saying, oh, Hamilton, like he lives in Cotswolds or whatever and like he's paying his wife like 25 grand a year on top of his 80 grand a year salary and he gets more for being like on some committee or something. Mm-hmm. I was just like, you know, in my head, obviously I'm like, that's terrible. But again, in my head, I'm like, I would totally do it. I would totally <laughs> do it. I mean, imagine that. Like we go to, you know, I know run for the, you know, elections to Westminster or something on mm-hmm. an abstentionist ticket and say, well, I'll just live in Cardiff and I'll never, I'll never turn up. Especially if well. I like fundamentally disagreed with the existence of the place, because <laughs> you know Neil does not think that Wales is a country. So for is him, that, just like you isn't know, technically though, isn't it a principality? Nope. Has it been a principality for like five hundred years, mate? No, but legally. No, 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 it's not. I thought legally we were still principality. Nah, Leanne took it to the uh, courts, mate. Right, so, Sam can now... Sam's just written this article about sort of UKIP in the Assembly. So Sam, off the press. Will you do us <laughs> the honour of reading some of this analysis you wrote about like UKIP's role in the Assembly and then we're going to talk about some of the history of UKIP and then we'll sort of talk about, you know, how did it get... How, did, how has it come to this? How did it get? There's been a lot of hand-wringing, hasn't there? People are like, oh no! Yeah. So shape people. Whilst people are sort of after first we voted leave, or no, second we voted leave, mm-hmm. um, and then you know we sort of voted in UKIP and Scottish people are sort of looking down their noses at us. So now it's, it's like time to explain wanna, it all. They want to help us, don't they? Yeah. Just not letting help, them. Help me, help you. <laughs> yeah. Go on, Sam. All right, then. So I was just thinking about what UKIP wants to do now in the Assembly, considering you know uh, we voted out the EU. Uh, you know what's next for them? So. Really, I'd say they've got two main roles to do in the Assembly. So, first of all, they have to ensure that, you know, the government in Wales is committed to Brexit. And the second, I'd say, is, like, building on, like, supporting working class, valleys, southeast Wales, those type of areas, industrial regions. Um, on the first point regarding, uh, you know, Brexit, Labour, Lib Dems and the Tories have really helped them out in this regard because... They voted against the principle of membership of the single market, so they've basically voted for hard Brexit. Was that that was the vote they had? The symbol. It was, it was a symbolic vote because obviously Wales doesn't have the power to kind of yeah. shape Brexit, but it's definitely kind of weakened 
Wells's position, Bargain you know, bargaining position. Did um, so were you kept quite vocal in that sort of debate, or did they help over down, didn't they? It was it was pretty it was pretty easy. I mean, it, it was strange how much consensus there was uh, when you've got every single party apart from Plaid Cymru all voting for hard Brexit. It was kind of a bit, a bit strange, weird. really. <laughs> weird. Uh, I think it was actually uh, placed by uh, Labour this vote. What do you it mean? Was, like, well, it wasn't a UK it. tabled by Labour. I don't think it was even tabled by UK. It's weird. Yeah. So, and then the second one, um, looking at kind of, they got a strong base now in places like Newport. They got around 20% of the vote in Newport, which, you know, considering it's such a Labour heartland, is pretty impressive. So, this all kind of comes down to the fallacy of, you know, working class lads, uh, you know, left wing economically, but are very quite socially conservative. And these are the kind of people that UKIP have to try and tap into. So, that, so firstly, they're going to keep basically banging the Brexit drum and making sure it's happening in Wales, like. Yeah, and definitely. And then secondly, sort of building on electoral gains, really, and just keep keep trying to eat into Labour's vote. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a strange situation where you got people like Neil Hamilton, which is you know furthest from being working class heroes you can get. But you look at, you know, the working class people who run uh, for Newport, like this guy called James Peterson, who reads Marx, he's a builder, handyman, and he's running for him. Those are the type of people that, you know... Such a weird contention, isn't it? Yeah. I read, I read so an interview much. with him in New Statesman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a bit eccentric. Yeah. Politics all over the place. <laughs> he just he just likes to get his name out, isn't he? He's like the Owen Jones of UK. I, I mean, we'll get onto this later about mm-hmm. some of the... The, the leanings we think that maybe mm-hmm. UKIP uh, supporters have because obviously they let's face it they are generally demonised in the in the press especially like the liberal press mm-hmm. and I don't think there's been much for there's not been much of investigation where people don't realise that there's been some quite nuanced analysis of like UKIP the values of UKIP supporters and you know lo and behold they're not all frothing at the mouth <laughs> racists okay so we're going to go back and talk a bit about the history of UKIP yep. uh, how they came to be and and consider you know like how we've got to this stage in Wales. So so there's an article. Bring out some academic stuff. Bring it out. Throw it out on the table. Once every podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's an article by uh, Richard Hayton, who's a, a sort of a, a prof at the University of Leeds, and he basically thinks that UKIP is sort of based around a celebration of English identity, what he calls Anglo-Britishness. Which is obviously makes the fact that it's grown in Wales even you know more strange. So he says the heritage of UKIP is basically a, it used to be a splinter on the Conservative Party's right wing that emerged at the height of tensions within Conservative ranks over the issue of European integration in the early 1990s. The party was formed out of the Anti-Federalist League, which was established by the academic Dr. Alan Sked who, quote, said he hoped it would convert the Tory party to Euroscepticism and to British independence. So you said, Nathan, it was founded in the LSE? Yeah, yeah, it was. Dirty little secret. It was, <laughs> yeah, don't tell everyone. That and uh, getting money off Gaddafi life. I had, uh, I had the pleasure of being lectured by him. On, by uh, Alan Sked? Yeah, on British politics. So but Alan Sked seems like quite an eccentric dude, and in fact he's just, he basically, he's, I mean, he's later come out and distanced himself from UKIP now, says under Farage they've moved to the right. And, and a sort of racist, but he basically just seems to have a mass, you know, a massive problem with the European Union. That's sort of the the roots of it, really. It's just, I mean, it's quite simple, almost a single issue party. So he says that Scared had also been involved in the Bruges Group, which similarly wanted to move the Conservative Party in the direction of Thatcher in the 1988 Bruges speech. He says this anti-federalism is important for understanding UKIP's unionism and sort of English nationalism, as it encapsulates encapsulates rather. The party's narrow conceptualization of national sovereignty, which reflects the Thatcherite view of the state that came to dominate conservative thinking in the eighties. So, you know more about UKIP sort of unionism and sort of Anglo-Britishness. So he says Christopher Bryant has said that Anglo-British England is the England that was at the heart of the making of Great Britain, the Empire, the one in which the differences between England and Britain disappear or are marginalised. Consequently, a politicised Englishness can find expression through the defence of UK sovereignty. So while they're very reluctant to end their commitment to the unitary British state, UKIP has appeared increasingly keen to tap into and articulate a sense of English grievance. So John Harris, who's like the Guardian guy that 
hates Corbin. Um, he just walks around <laughs> everywhere, doesn't he? He's like, John, just have a walk around. He just finds himself <laughs> up in like Liverpool. Uh, oh yeah, he did that thing in the valleys, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, John Harris observed, UKIP is the conduit for a specifically English political revolt. It's full of people who highlight the notion of England, England as an angry, introverted place. And he says, central to this idea of Englishness, at the heart of UKIP's sort of internal logic, it concerns over immigration and multiculturalism, particularly, obviously, immigration. UKIP, as we know, has sort of hung its hat on not just the EU, is it? Immigration is a big thing. And they've, they've obviously had a massive impact because they've sort of brought everyone else to the right. They've dragged, like, even Cameron and that to the right on immigration. They've dragged the Labour Party to the right on immigration. What's even weirder when we consider how UKIP's risen in Wales is that the fact that UKIP have always articulated this this sort of English identity. This article deals with how UKIP have dealt with like devolution, and basically UKIP have really struggled to accept devolution. It says in a policy statement entitled "Restoring Britishness," published in two thousand and ten, the party painted a picture of a nation identity under threat. Britain and I want to read it out in like a I can't do it in Please a do it. No, just <laughs> the, like, the... We should do it one we should do the two extremes. You should do read out one is like far is like the classic like middle class UK supporter who's like a former Tory and then the one like former Labour voter who feels abandoned. So like we'll do one in the working class person. I won't I'll just read it out as me. Yeah. Um, Britain and Britishness are in trouble. They're being attacked and undermined, both externally and internally. They are threatened by the European Union and corporatist Americanized pressures from without and betrayed by misguided politically correct ideology, extremist Islam and errant nationalism from within. Oh. Sub-state nationalism, so, you know, Welsh nationalism, Scottish nationalism, are also explicitly linked by UKIP to the EU. So they say, in addition, Britain faces a serious existential crisis with Scottish, Welsh and Irish nationalisms on the rise. These nationalisms, like other people's nationalisms, have been <laughs> enchanted by Brussels that they will have more independence as a province of Europe than as a major constituent part of the United Kingdom. But this is bogus independence. So they also say, right, that Farage has basically... Do you remember the Scots referendum? Farage is up there basically saying... He, he called Scots nationalists fascists. Mm-hmm. He's arti- he said basically that Scottish people hate English people. And he's really sort of started articulating a strong sense of Englishness against like Scottishness and against Welshness. Not a fan of the Barnet Fauntner either. No, they the said they scrapped just like, yeah, I don't have money going after Scotland, do you? So they said they scrapped the Barnet with AIDS. Yeah, absolutely. They said they scrapped <laughs> the Barnet Fauntner. That was in the twenty sixteen manifesto on Wales. So what was it, it what, so what was it they said? He said that it was unfair that different parts of the UK got different money well different amounts of money. So they Based said they'd scrap the it altogether and just kind of give it out evenly between all kind of constituencies of the UK. But obviously that doesn't take into account anything with regards to, you know, differences in income, etc. Oh yeah, here it is. So it says, they said the Barnet formula would be scrapped. Oh yeah. So they, they would create an English parliament, but with no extra buildings or politicians. Furthermore, this English parliament would restore England to its rightful recognition alongside the United Kingdom's other constituent nations. And help remove resentment of unfair treatment. Yeah, England's been so hot. So oppressed. Yeah, so um, UKIP's thoughts on devolution in the English question fleshed out further again by Paul Nettle from UKIP, the Scouser. Did you see that tweet that Paul Nettle retweeted? And he was like, some people have been calling me a bad, brutal meth. (laughs) Appalling. (laughs) (laughs) Why would you retweet the insult that people have been... It's amazing. Just give people out. Right, so Paul Nettle writes, a union for the future. He accepted the continuation of the existing devolved bodies in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, but backed again the creation of the English Parliament. Previously, they said that they would do away with the Welsh Assembly yeah. and the Scottish Parliament, and instead they'd have UKIP MPs from Wales just having a meeting in Wales every so often. The local YM. Yeah, <laughs> and UKIP and AM, uh, MPs in Scotland just having a meeting there. So given how, how much they've been pushing this Anglo-British this English identity, how, all right, so let's, let's brainstorm, let's answer, let's put this issue to bed. <laughs> yeah. How have they, how have they, wrap us up really. yeah, so how have they, you know, grown so fast in Wales, you know, I mean, how, how do you have a party that articulates this English identity on the national level is anti-devolution, yet it's, you know, gaining so many seats in Wales, I mean, how is it, how is this? How do you, <laughs> I'm having a 
meltdown. So how you know, so how is it then? Well, what so, do we think? I think it's the fallout of um, both major political parties going after the middle England, like middle class vote, and then all of a sudden you have huge swathes of working class left behind, like either disillusioned by the political process and then not given a voice. But all of a sudden you have a seemingly anti-establishment party run by someone who's very much of the establishment. Absolutely. Give them a, a kind of out. And, you know, it's just like, oh, it's, they kind of speak for me. So almost the, like the social base of the rise of UKIP is exactly the same as the rise of right-wing authoritarian populism across Europe, the abandonment of the working class, basically, mm-hmm. by social democratic to, parties. To an extent, though, because with, I think, the makeup of UKIP voters tends to be older males... But who we will have a look at, won't we? Yeah, mm-hmm. we will. Um, but who would be essentially put off by fascism or any notion like that, as they'd have memories uh, of Second World War, bad memories, mm-hmm. or good memories. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was alright. Some some people had a good time. Some people did. It's, it's strange. Like adding on to that, it's firstly the the imba- uh, abandonment of all the other major parties of working class people. And then once UKIP then started to get a foothold, they all then went completely the other direction and started pandering to them and say, oh yeah, you're right about immigration. It is a problem. It is X, Y, Z. Even in Wales, where immigration is in no way a problem. The problem in Wales is that there aren't enough people in certain regions or kind of immigration from OAPs from England into kind of North and West Wales. It's a completely different issue. We, we burn the houses down, though, when this English coming in, don't we? <laughs> right, here we go. Robert Ford and Matt Goodwin. So they've done, is it, was it Revolt on the Right? Yeah, a book I've almost finished reading, but probably won't now since we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> this is the story of... Once you've done the podcast, there's no need to... Yes, no, I just throw it We put that knowledge to bed, isn't it? Just burn the book, I've done that. Right, um, we we found them up like this and we sort it out. Yeah, we could t- abandon all the papers. Like yeah, we've, just we've do a footnote to the link on uh, SoundCloud. So, <laughs> yeah, just give us a retweet. Um, of, uh, on that note, uh, we should note we are being followed by Michael Sheen. So Both online Michael. and offline. Thank you, Michael Sheen. We're big, big fans. And so, I loved you as Tony Blair. If you could um, just give us some money or, you know, just I'd like, I think that we'd get on. Like me, I, I'm quite my club persona. Like Danny Hollywood is quite a <laughs> is a good guy to be around, and I think I could just chill out with Mike in um in Hollywood, just go to his parties and stuff. I could talk about the podcast, talk about Wales and politics, and just you know be <laughs> obviously just get thrown out of his parties of boring, for boring people to death. Oh, I don't know. He likes a platform, though, doesn't he? I just always want. I always want like an. On, I, I'd love to be an entre- in someone's entourage. <laughs> I've always, or I've always wanted to be the guy in hip hop videos that just hypes him up at the beginning or like coughs on the mic like. <laughs> Or a corner man in Just shakes your head like when they say like a name. I want to be the first academic sociologist to move from academia. Other people go into like the third sector. Where's he now? He's like Michael Sheen's hype man. Or like so you want to be this... the hip hop version of Bez, basically. Or Flavor Flow. But it's not hip hop, it's Michael Sheen. Basically, it's his manservant. <laughs> uh, I mean, Sarah Silverman as well. He's uh, he's with her. Is he? Yeah, yeah, Sarah Silverman. I saw Michael Sheen, right, when he was doing that, um, you know, the... It was the Passion of Christ? Passion thing? of Christ, uh, but it wasn't called that, was it? it was called something else. Passion of Potalba. But it was in Potalba, and it was amazing. So it was just like, you know, the lo- do you, it, so he was doing this, like, they did this massive reenactment across, like, Abraham and Seafront. Mm-hmm. Like, he dragged, like, the cross, and it was an amazing split in the audience of, like, lovies who'd come down to watch it, mm-hmm. and locals sitting in the garden Wait, on the booth. So he gets, like, you know, so it's this incredible, like, life theatre, like, happening mm-hmm. working men's mm-hmm. clubs, like, people having meetings about, like, Jesus and being a traitor and stuff like that and then they put you know they, they rode the cross just went up on the seafront mm-hmm. with Sheen on it and he was like properly like an incredible performance it was so like gripping he was like like father why have you forsaken mm-hmm. me and all these people were like oh you bloody faker <laughs> and so I was like can you see my house from here bud <laughs> it was absolutely class but anyway massive fans Mike Sheen please come to my house no just be our friend just be our yeah, friend like, um, in my house so Robert Ford and Matt Goodwin, we've they've sort of have just echoed what you said. Um, they said that white, blue collar, less educated, uh, less educated male voters. They say they form the core of UKIP support base, who they characterise as the left behind, and they say yeah. that these working class voters have begun to turn to a radical right party, who reject the established political class and provide them with someone to blame 
for their problems but namely the eu with the uh, with the, like the line about less educated obviously it has like that initial like, kind of sly connotation yeah I don't but if, it. if it's you know if it's older generation who wouldn't have gone to university and stuff like that then that kind of doesn't mean they're thick just no means, of course yeah. not but that's been that let's face it when a lot of liberal people speak about people who vote UKIP it's, mm-hmm. it's almost it's in that the way they speak about them is in the is in itself evidence like that's well that's why people yeah that's why yeah um and that is another absurdity of ukip you know it's made by this professor lse and it's like cushy little life yeah and then it's taken over by farage and then you know as in they're the voice of the working class it just shows and kill myself (laughs) what happened to that dude man i i i've had i've got in my head and i've asked people i don't think it is true but did like someone throw loads of manure or shit on him? <laughs> I like, like I got it so clear in my head, like him, you just like, it, like maybe I did. But you know, it's just like such a strong image that I'm convinced a, this happened. But there's a Google image. image in it, and it just it's nothing. Feds are gonna read you out, like um, yeah. Although what I will say, Robert Kill myself, and I think you can't take this away from me. He's a handsome old man. Like I'd love to look. Wouldn't you love to look at that when you're like? Unless he, unless he was young, way. unless he was like in his, he was like thirty five, <laughs> but he had like a re, he's got like a really nice tan, full head, silver hair, and um, I don't know. I just think like if you were a left, if he was a left wing politician, we'd be like that dude's. He's a smooth, lander, smooth, smooth looking dude. He's a laser dude. But he was another one that's probably you know the, um, what I think you know, we're, we're going to get back to this, uh, talk about the social base of UK. No, no, we should all kill ourselves now. <laughs> talk about kill ourselves being covered in manure for the next half an hour, and then we'll get on to it, but. We'll talk about the social basis of UKIP, right? So, we've talked about the left behind, and people are sort of in disbelief, aren't they? Like, why are... Because obviously UKIP, they're not... You know, one of the major issues of UKIP is that they're eating into former Labour heartlands, and that's what's the... the how people are shocked. They're like, why are people who've voted Labour, how can you go from one side of the political spectrum all the way over to the other? Some genuinely believe that it's a left-wing party. Yeah, some people do. I think a lot of it is um, is a sort of the media. You know, there's some media you consume... But I think what people have underestimated in the first instance is that a lot of these Labour heartlands are fairly socially conservative places anyway. And the Labour movement in the UK anyway has always been underpinned by a fairly strong stream of sort of British nationalism. The Labour movement, if you go back to the 1920s and even you know even in the 30s, were sort of anti-immigrant. So it's not like the British yeah, left... From their horizon. <laughs> so it's not like the British left have always been incredibly progressive. You know, they've always been... Um, it was, you know, so there has been a set an element of that sort of British sort of imperialist nationalism underpinning it, including in Wales. So looking at the the national sentiment, so this Hayton has looked at the social basis. Identity. Seventy two point four percent of UK voters in England said they felt very strongly English, which is a larger portion proportion than for any other party, the next being the BNP. In Wales, by contrast, it's just forty percent of UK voters said they felt very strongly Welsh. So, I think in Wales, people when people say that they've all UKIP voters in Wales are all former Labour voters in very Welsh identifying heartlands, that forty percent stat doesn't really chime there. So what's happened there? I wonder. I reckon because just Labour's the dominant party in Wales, and the fallout. I mean, the fallout of Labour Party and perhaps like the eventual disintegration is happening elsewhere throughout the UK, isn't it? Well, it could be, I think, that since the evolution, we've all assumed, haven't we, that really that Wales is becoming like more Welsh. Mm-hmm. But what this article says is that the fact that you could have done so well in the English-speaking heartlands of Wales, what this shows is that UKIP's Anglo-British nationalism has obviously resonated with lots of people in Wales. So what we need, we need to think about in Wales as well is that we've obviously assumed too much when it comes to the nationalism of, of Wales and Welsh, haven't we? This idea of Britishness that UKIP articulated... Obviously, you know, this idea of a strong state, the military, anti-immigration, obviously resonates with a lot of people in Wales. We have to sort of face that fact. It's not just English people in Wales, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of people, I myself included, thought it would be. It's working class people in Wales who do feel these things. It shows, you know, the the depth of Welshness or perhaps the lack of. Yeah, absolutely. It's about this kind of, you know, 80-minute nationalists. When the, when the rugby's on, you know, oh, I hate the English, I'm Welsh, blah, blah, blah. And then... You know, after the game's finished, it's still very kind of inherently unionist kind of. You scratch your surface, and, state, yeah, yeah, underneath. So there hasn't got that real strength of it. It's uh, exactly. maybe Scottishness does. 
Here we have some other stuff. Other stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, we we how have we got so far? And we haven't talked about Mike Hookham beating up <laughs> Stephen Wolf in the yeah, actually named Mike Hookham. I know, but he looks to be fair. He absolutely looks absolutely nails. Like I was like joking, like oh, you know, Stephen Wolf, like you know, got knocked out, and then like Mike Hookham is like army commando, absolute like unit, and like and do you see he tweeted a photo of his hands. He was like, oh, tweet yeah. a photo of his hands. He's like, no bruises on the knuckles. And he's got these <laughs> massive, like, meat hooks like, of hands. That, like, if you caught him. Would... As, as love and hate, like, yeah. from. Uh... <laughs> but the thing is, I, before that, I was even talking to someone. I saw Stephen Wolf. And Stephen Wolf's shtick was that he was, like, working class lad made good from Manchester, blah, blah. And part of me, I was like, I bet Stephen Wolf is hard. <laughs> but. Not hard enough. Not hard enough. You could still be hard, but like Mike Hookham's just nails. Yeah, but I mean, it's quite. You know, you can't. You like every like Sunday, I reckon. Like he's like, oh, you know, I might just pop down to like an abandoned car park for bare knuckle. It would get more people to watch politics though if, if that's how you chose your leader. Yeah, a bare knuckle. Bare knuckle boxing. So why do we have? Uh, if you if you do listen to the show, if you haven't switched off by now, <laughs> uh, why don't you tweet us? Great sort of political. Uh, boxing matches or things you'd like to happen we'd try to arrange um, the obviously one was the obvious one at the moment would be Eric Joyce remember Eric Joyce was the Labour politician who got basically just kept headbutting everyone like uh, he, he nutted it like he got, went on a rampage like in the House of Commons bar like he stuck the head on like two t- Tories or whatever and we were like go on Joyce boy and then but then he got like expelled but now he's like he's you know he's, he's become like made this journey from a staunch Labour unionist like Sport of Scottish independence, so it's like, yes, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a is, is that, body uh, or whatever. Ukrainian heavyweight boxers now entered parliament. Oh, Klitschko. Uh, Klitschko, yeah, yeah, but, but that's not fair. It? That's, I mean, that's not Is... you need an amateur pedigree, you know, it's like you can't have Klitschko versus although, is it what parliament is it where they routinely have punch ups? Turkey, Ukraine, no, it's Turkey Ukraine. Ukraine, yeah, yeah. just like. But Klitschko never joins in. He sits in the corner. He, he just knows he could take him. So he, he said, he said, why didn't he join? He said, because I know if I punch someone, I kill him. I think it's the other way. I think he's scared of someone clipping him and going down. <laughs> I reckon that's probably because spot. all his fights are rigged. You know how, like in um, in Britain, you know, like the way to Parliament or like the higher elite is, you know, you get into Oxford or Cambridge, PPE, yeah. yeah, and then just kind of end up as yeah, uh, yeah. a researcher. I reckon in the Ukraine is just you start off like thirteen, going to your local boxing gym, try to get spotted, have a couple of like chant like championship fights, and then you retire and just go straight into. You could be well. I certainly. What that does tell you that politics in other countries isn't as gentrified, <laughs> you know, isn't as uh, say what you will about political violence. The fact that MPs in Ukraine are like smashing, smashing, you know, sandwich shit shitting into each other shows that like they're not. They, they, did, they probably didn't go to elite universities mm-hmm. and do like PPE, and they probably didn't work in the media before. And um, anyway, whether it's a revolving not, door. Whether, yeah, whether, yeah, whether or not that would get them, you know, that's it's just you know, a hard turn man. people onto politics. Isn't it? What I do think, you know, like, have you seen the guy that f- used to follow Klitschko around? No. Come on, champ. Like, the guy that, like, <laughs> it's unbelievable. This dude wanted to fight him, right? So, he was, this guy was, like, like a 40-year-old black dude who's, like, washed up fighter, mm-hmm. but he wanted his day in the sun. He wanted, like, to make a name for himself. So, he literally went to every single one of, like, Klitschko's, like, press conferences and was like, come on, champ. Like, let's go, champ. Let's go, champ. And Klitschko's like, just leave me alone, man. And there's one video. Klitschko's out on, like, um, in the ocean, like, Paddleboard in, and then this guy is like, just going like, come on, chap. Klitschko's like, leave me alone, like, you've gone too far. And he goes past him on a speedboat, and like, knocks Klitschko off. <laughs> and he doesn't help him out when Klitschko's absolutely living. It's the funniest thing ever. That's some dedicated stuff. But you could it? do it, you could do it to, um, do you see when Farage just gave him that speech, and the dude was like yelling at him in the, with a megaphone outside the House of Parliament? And he's like, Nigel Farage, you're a disgrace. And it was going over, and you couldn't hear a word Farage was saying. Well, anyway, we digress. Talking about the paradox of former Labour areas. Vote in UKIP. How to explain this, okay? So, Robert Ford and Matthew Goodwin, again, in this revolt on the right, they've written this thing, they wrote an article in The Guardian, and it's about, there is a significant sort of element within the UKIP vote, which sort of suggests that people in UKIP have left-wing tendencies. So, they presented UKIP voters with five left-wing ideological statements, and an average of 71% of UKIP voters agreed with these statements, far above the Conservatives, 43%, and even uh, above the Liberal Democrats at 65%. So they're only a little bit less left-wing than Labour voters. So, here are the statements. Government should redistribute income from the better off to those less well-off. 
fairly straightforward left-wing statement, isn't it? 45% of UKIP supporters agreed with that. Labour was 72, Conservatives 24, Lib Dems 56. Big business takes advantage of ordinary people. 81% of UKIP supporters agreed. 85% of Labour, so you know, just behind, 58% Conservative, 75% Lib Dem. Ordinary working people do not get the fair share of the Nathan's nation's wealth. Nathan's wealth. <laughs> I just called it. I just like redistribution my... of Nathan's wealth. Yeah, I just go to my bank and just put it in my living room and sit on it like a fantasy dragon. Ordinary working people don't get the fair share of the nation's wealth. Seventy seven percent you get eighty six percent labour, forty six percent conservative, seventy percent live down. So again, sort of more I guess essentially lived lived down sent uh left wing sentiments than the lived Dems. There's one law for the rich and one law for the poor. 78% agreed UKIP, so 84% Labour. Management will always try to get the better of employees if it gets the chance. 75% UKIP, 77 Labour. So what we see here is that, you know, you know these UKIP voters are far closer to the Labour voters than they are to the Tories and the Lib Dem, which is, which is crazy, really, isn't it? Mm. So what is it then? Is it just you know, the fact they've got a social conservative base and, and, and immigration is the thing that, You've got classically sort of populist left-wing policies about redistribution and things like that, but they've just been hitched to this like anti-immigration, anti-EU sentiment. I mean, there's there's always been a gap for an economically left-wing, socially conservative party in the UK. I mean, the way we view politics here on like a left-right scale is just you know. Don't think it's, uh, it's it's out of touch, you know. They put UKIP on the right because the times, man. Yeah, because yeah. it's socially conservative. But you know, it's it is socially conservative, but it's economically left wing, and there's not really UK. anything. Well, this is the paradox, isn't it? The paradox. Well, the, the, the 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 people who support oh, it right, are right, economically yeah, yeah. left wing, socially yeah, yeah, conservative. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it's strange if you look at people like Paul Nuttall. At least. Attempts to be left wing economically. He was the one actually um, put forward that UKIP have to target working class areas to yeah. be successful. Yeah. But are they, you know, I mean, we say this, are they actually, you know, economically left wing? I mean, no. I mean, the thing is, I think you're right that they're good at banging that drum, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And what's up, I mean, if you think about, you know, the nature of populism, what's crazy is that Farage has created this man of the people shtick. Standing in a pub, drinking a pint of ale, wearing a tweed jacket, and five hundred thousand pound a year, and basically being racist. But he somehow portrayed himself as this straight-talking man of the people. But as you said, Sam, that there's a tension, isn't there? Because you've got the top end of the party, like Farage, who were died in a Wolf Thatcherites, mm-hmm. very right-wing people economically. You know, neoliberal. Yeah, libertarian. You know, they want. You know, they want. They wanted Brexit to basically safeguard and, and help the city of London. But then you've got the base, which, as you alluded to in your article, is mm-hmm. a, it's almost people who are just anti-establishment. They've got this anti-establishment sentiment, haven't they? So, do you think this might lead to like some tensions? I mean, the fact that Brexit's going to happen, or maybe it's going to happen, and the fact that you have already basically achieved the only point of their party, are they going to you know are they going to collapse, or how are they, how is that tension between the the top? The elite, yeah, the elites of the party and the and like the I guess the working class base. How's that going to resolve itself? I do. I reckon they'll just fall apart in a you few think? years. Yeah, but uh, why? Well, if you've got <laughs> cynical as it sounds, if you've got the majority of your support coming from old white men, they're not going to be around <laughs> for a while, are they? Because like that's the thing with UKIP, they don't really poll well with younger voters because they tend to be more socially liberal, don't they? So you. you put off by um you know the stances on immigration and i think again I, I think that's sorry so no so like let demographics run its course yeah they're pretty just, much and just, just die yeah i reckon they're gonna get stronger myself i, I want to see them falling away i mean for one leaving the eu is gonna take it's gonna take years isn't it especially with this whole supreme court you know judgment and everything so um, as long as that is dragged out they've still got a reason but to, it is, it's more than that even when even when and I think we will leave when we leave the EU there's still going to be vast waves of people who are disillusioned and they're not going to then blame UKIP and say oh well we're out of the EU why <laughs> you know yeah why would why, I vote for you anymore why would I vote for you anymore they're going to still be disillusioned so and the other parties be- haven't really changed I mean people aren't going back to Labour they're not really going to go back to the Tories so there's still this 
But what about in Wales? Why don't they get applied? Yeah, or become disillusioned. This is, I think, the interesting thing, isn't it? You know, why is there? Why haven't these working class? So these working class areas or the former Labour heartlands in Scotland have gone SNP. Mm-hmm. In Wales, they've gone to UKIP, where Plaid should have been the natural, you know, the the natural beneficiaries. I think one of the reasons is obviously that I mean, if you're from South Wales, it's areas like you know myself, you will know that Plaid have been sort of very effectively demonised over the last sort of hundred years. So even people that are former Labour voters that don't, you know, they're looking for someone else to vote for, they won't vote Plaid because when they think of Plaid, they think of what Alan Cairn said, they think of mm-hmm. Welsh nationalists who burn cottages down, who are obsessed with the Welsh language. Even though that's not true, they think that, and so they won't vote for Plaid. So they'll, they go the other way, and they go to UK. And that is something I think that Plaid obviously have to keep working on, changing that image, because as long as it won't... The other thing as well is, we could keep coming back to this issue. We haven't got a national media. the media in Wales. No. So you know, I mean, people who are, are pissed off, they haven't got like, they don't. You know, the, the, there's no media in Wales that says, "Hey, if you're upset with the, the state of affairs, here's an alternative political party mm-hmm. to the left in Plaid Cymru." Mm-hmm. They just see Nigel Farage on Question Time. They see all these people banging this drum. They read British news. They don't read about Welsh news. So they're far more likely to. That's a big reason why kind of UKIP's anti-Welshness doesn't play a part in Wales either, because people just don't know. Because people don't know. So you let's say that okay, Brexit happens because of this English. What what I think might happen because Scotland is likely to start making more and more moves to become independent. I think that UKIP, the leadership, will keep tapping into this anti-Scottish sentiment that Farage did doing the the Scottish referendum and start doing this oh we need an English parliament basically articulating this strong English nationalism um, which basically is you know anti it's going to be more and more anti-Scottish and that is going to be what they hang people they, they appeal to instead of the EU the EU is not going to be the the thing anymore it'll just mm-hmm. be immigrants it'll just be a traditional right populist party won't it mm-hmm. but, but without the added thing of the EU but I mean they're quite they're a very young party, I mean, yeah. just over 20 years. But, and they've always, like, throughout their history, there's been loads of infighting, and there's loads of times they've almost broke, broken apart. Yeah. It's only just by a miracle they managed to stay together. And you had, uh, I think you've got, like, major donors threatening to leave them and stuff. I just think they're just going to, I don't know, like, just feel they're going to burn themselves out, in a, mm-hmm. in a sense. You've already fulfilled, like, what you were meant to do. And, like, for a political party, that's basically amazing. A political party that's only like has one MP. Yeah. For to change the face of Brit- politics in Britain is incredible. You know. We were saying this on the way down when we like Farage, um, love him or loathe him, and obviously absolutely loathe him. He's probably the most influential right wing politician yeah. since Thatcher in the, in the UK, and he's he's harnessed the press. He's he's made some Murdoch. He's whipped up this. He's created carefully created this man of the people image, despite being an ardent sort of Thatcherite. He's on, you know, he's got UKIP a ridiculous amount of media coverage, you know, relative to their sort of their size, and he has completely shifted the the nature of politics in the UK. He's completely changed. He's, he's taken the UK out of the EU almost, you know, single-handedly. single-handedly. He's the one that's driven it. He's dragged politics in the UK so far to the right, it's going to be almost impossible to undo. You know, at least in a generation, I would say. I what mean, other politician? Can you say of recent times, or can you think of any left-wing figure that's done that? Anything like that in the UK? Maybe Bob, maybe Bob Crow was had like you know yeah. a similar sort of, you know, wasn't in the sort of electoral system, but did you know, drag you know help things to the right, or stand up for you know working class people? I can't think of any. But I, I was thinking with um, you know in order to become an established political force as like Labour and Conservative is you have to appeal to a large base. So similar to Labour with their controls on immigration mode, just trying to get as much support as they can, do you reckon they would end up, I guess, becoming the very thing they, they protest about is just a, a big big party? Part of the establishment. Part of the establishment, yeah. Well, in relation to the, the Assembly, what's going to happen now? Because obviously, as this as we've said, they've spent their entire sort of early part of their existence moaning about devolution, saying that England you know, needs its own parliament against Scottish and Welsh nationalism, blah, blah, blah. How are they going to... Do you think eventually in Wales they will have to reconcile this 
this sort of in- traditional English identity, they're going to have to come to terms with things like the Welsh language, with the uh, with the nature of the old assembly. Or do you think they're going to be what was that phrase? It was like a dog in the manger. Or they're going to be the they're going to just start banging. They could potentially start. They might, let's imagine they're in the assembly and they start campaigning for the abolition of the assembly. I mean, that's what they did in the European. Mm-hmm. You did the European Parliament. You know they 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 got themselves out of the job. Is it possible that they could do exactly the same in in Welsh Assembly and start? They could either just act as a, a as blockers, blocking anything mm-hmm. that went towards further devolution, or even even more extreme, trying to sort of articulate an anti anti devolution sentiment in Wales and whipping that up. So they could even they could remain a small electoral force in Wales, but they could influence all the other parties just like they've done in you know with the Brexit debate I don't think that will happen because they're really using Wales or the Assembly as a springboard for further electoral success they want to show that they are able to govern so rather they can than just being ruined rather, yeah so they can kind of go to you know Westminster and say see look we can we can be a part of in a you know in a legislative branch and we can kind of oh what <laughs> a little bit of branch yeah. <laughs> legislative branch oh I thought I thought like Blanche was like a some like no 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 it's also like a nineteen fifties American girl's name isn't it <laughs> Blanche. Blanche yeah and then, but the other thing that really surprised me is how quickly all the parties in the assembly have really kind of cuddled up to UKIP you know yeah. you've seen selfies of different committees you know with Neil Hamilton and stuff like that this is a guy who doesn't even think that the assembly should exist as an institution doesn't even really think that Wales is a nation did you hear about selfie gate no I haven't okay so um, Bethan Jenkins who I think is a fantastic politician she uh, she's, she's, she's yeah. applied Bethan Jenkins applied AM for Anita Talbot, right? So I follow Beth on Twitter. I think she's absolutely fantastic. Oh, didn't she? They, they took a, they basically she took basically took a photo of the people, other people who were on this particular committee. Mm-hmm. I don't know which in the assembly. I forget which one it was, and it just so happened to have Lee Waters and Neil Hamilton in. People then went absolutely mental on Twitter, sort of accusing Beth of like facilitating fascism and things like that, which I thought was really really harsh because, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we all know me more than most. Maybe you know people that. If you weren't friends with them, you wouldn't like them. I don't know, um, but you know, like she and you know, people were saying, well, you know, it, it wasn't we're not best mates. We're just trying to show like the consensual politics and where mm-hmm. people have then said, well, you're legitimating UKIP and you're legitimating fascism, blah blah blah. Um, what do you think? I mean, the idea of you can't blame. I don't think that them for taking a photo. I did at first. I was really upset about it, um, but then you think, well, it, there's been this narrative in Wales that partisan politics turns people off politics yeah so people ams have had this thing drummed into them that the more people get on the more people are going to be turned into politics so there's an active thing of like almost inbuilt into the logic of the assembly which will legitimate ukip because they've been think about when the assembly was created all the talk was about consensual politics everyone getting along people working together there's no like none of the partisanship mm-hmm. that defines westminster so that is now unfortunately <laughs> going to be used exactly in devolution to Welcome to UKIP, UKIP into the full, and they'll become completely normalised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's that you know the long, long, long march through, through the institution, yeah, through yeah. the assembly. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I I do think it's feasible that they could become sort of uh, sort of blockers or ruiners or whatever that term is, where they just they enter an institution just to sort of to ruin mm-hmm. it. Um, but do you think any political party is satisfied as just being an outside protest? You know, I mean, that's the it's idea. Easier. Yeah, but that's mm. the idea of a political party, isn't it? Is to gain power. Of course. So it's like, ah, job done. Let's just kind of sit back and. I mean, in a way, we have to sort of wait, don't we? I mean, and see. I mean, we almost have to see if they're competent in the assembly. But um, well, they're a bunch of fruitcakes, though, they really. But the problem, but the problem is, without the media, mm-hmm. without a scru- without a scrutiny, even if they do mess up and they aren't competent in a Welsh assembly, no one's going to know about it anyway, apart from. Desolation Radio, yeah. <laughs> and all our listeners, <laughs> and all the listeners, but but it's true because you know you can it, the, the wider issue in the, with the media in Wales is lack of scrutiny on of everyone of every political party and you know, the government's performance in general. But obviously, you, with UKIP being here, we're gonna, we're gonna we're almost assuming that something will happen. There'll be some mad infighting with Hamilton or Wallop, uh, Gill or vice versa in the in the Senate. Just or something clear like that. Harrison until he's the last. Standing yeah, there'll be some sort of battle royale. <laughs> 
imagine that like Hamilton's like Neo style like spinning yeah. <laughs> that's, that's probably how it plays out in his head isn't it yeah, but yeah. this film was written about me yeah get off the port Neil but without a, without an effective uh, media which says oh, by the way this AM isn't even t- doesn't even live in Wales this AM doesn't turn up to things you know it's never going to change people are going to and you have do we think that people who are voting for UKIP are voting for them in ideological t- I mean firstly do people vote for UKIP in the assembly elections based on assembly issues no they vote because of West it's a, because it's just it, of, of British issues they just think well I'll vote for UKIP not because how they can perform in the assembly but just because it's a protest vote an all encompassing protest vote when you're saying about um, UKIP and their attitudes towards Wales and Welsh devolution I was wondering, you know, because when you have like the manifestos come out at a general election, not many people go through them bit by bit and like you know try to make the most informed decisions they can. It's just whatever's kind of replicated through the news headlines or yeah. like word of mouth. Already, um, Neil Hamilton has been on like the Institute of Welsh Affairs did a thing the other day and it was like mm-hmm. a post. Uh, what does Brexit mean for Wales? Neil Hamilton's you know speaking there. So I mean, already they've been completely integrated into the Welsh you know Welsh yeah. political fabric, and they only. Are there any positives of this? Are there any positives of UKIP entering the assembly other than Stephen Wolf got knocked out? Stephen Wolf banged <laughs> out. Like the other, the only thing I can say is that it should again, just like Brexit itself, make Welsh people in you know in Wales confront this myth about us being you know innately social democratic, uh, left wing or Europhile or whatever. Yeah. And it should make, but it should also make us think: Why is Welsh identity so weak? Why is that Anglo-British identity that UKIP sort of bang on about how does that resonate with people in Wales you know, why is I mean what are the mechanisms for supporting a Welsh I mean if people in Wales felt more Welsh there's no chance UKIP would get in but the same people who moan about UKIP also like i.e. people in the Labour Party will still deny Wales more powers mm-hmm. a Welsh media these things that would create a Welsh identity which would prevent UKIP ever happening in the first place so the reason why Scotland didn't vote UKIP they've got an effective left wing uh, left wing nationalist party they've got their own media they've got you know it's just this. Scotland are pulling so far ahead of Wales. It used to people used to say in political science, Wales is Scotland in like ten years. I think now it's like Wales is Scotland maybe fifty years. Wales is Scotland years. in a parallel universe. Yeah, yeah Wales is yeah. yeah. I, I just I, I, I don't see it happening. Wales is Scotland in all the fan fiction I read. <laughs> just change the name Scotland yeah. to, to Wales. Yeah. Is there anything we haven't covered? We were gonna decide if if you keep a fashion or. We were going to talk about whether you keep a fascist, a fascist party because people, people, I think people have been throwing that around a lot. They're not fascist, I don't think. I would say they're more like a classically authoritarian, right populist party in in Europe. I mean, there's a lot of things to be said about fascism. Fascism is what we can say is that right wing parties always emerge during periods periods of crisis and economic crisis. They generally appeal to the petty bourgeoisie. We won't get into the theory of this, but if you want to know, just read some Trotsky and Gramsci. So we summed that up. They're not fascist. Nope, I don't think fascist, so um, at all. But they are authoritarian right populists, so they're on the spectrum, so let's not uh, be <laughs> UK are on the spectrum, as um, all of us knew. Let's do some shout-outs. Uh, Firstly, shout-out to Sam for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Kill me. Anytime. Sam, do the shout-outs. If you want to do a shout-out. Uh, going to do a shout-out to the Bocom and Bad Men, uh, the <laughs> lads I used to live with in London, keep the Utopia alive, lads. It's pretty good. Yeah. That's a really good one. Nathan, you thought of any? Uh, yeah, I'm going to give a shout-out to my boiler, because it's been providing me with really good central heating. Well, well, well. <laughs> it's really nice, nice, isn't it? It's so you've got, a, you've got a fire, though. I have, but I mean, in terms of that, when you heat this room, the Double central heat. heating. Double like, heat. Yeah, just heat on heat. Very smart. Uh, shout-out to me. Uh, I can only think of getting a shout-out to my homie Graham again, uh, just for providing me with just love and affection. And I'd also send a warning to my Hermes delivery man in Cardiff that keeps... My package now has been returned to depot after three apparent failed attempts to deliver it each time I was in. And I was waiting for you, man. And you just let me down. And that was a birthday present. And now I'm in trouble. So, One at the post office last time. This is Hermes, so they don't even have a... They, he does, a they, don't, they don't leave it to... You've got the whole postal service. They don't leave it to... Uh, yeah, well... He's obviously been listening to this, lad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I reckon it's the post, the, the post, uh, your postman's got his mate in whom he's so like his cousin. He's just like, ah, oh, never guess what. This man is an anti-worker. He's uh, <laughs> he hates uh, couriers. Probably votes UKIP. What I will, packages. what I will say, I actually do hate this man now. And the next time he delivers, if I catch, like, 
I have to go to my house. Like previously, he delivered a package at ten at night, and like I got there, and he just didn't even take his headphones off. He just like, gave me and walked out of the very well. As we talk next time, well, how do adults settle conflicts? They piss oh, yeah, people. Piss off. So, You've got to get a gun off the internet, and when he delivers it, open it up. Two sex men. I just want to check. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you like that? Okay, so that's. Uh, I guess that's not really a shout. It's more of a threat. Maybe that, <laughs> maybe that, maybe that could be a recurring theme. Like, uh, so shouts to some people, threats to others. Yeah. Tweet us if you want to uh, come on the show. If you want to help us out with the technical side of things. Yeah, that'd be great. If Michael Sheen wants to hang out with us, if you want to help us design a website, um, Michael Sheen done it. Design a website for us. Uh, we're not technologically minded, unfortunately. Um, we've got really good ideas, but unfortunately, we're not technologically <laughs> literate. So, uh, anyone wants to chip in, please come forward. Right, we've solved the UKIP scenario. We've got we've solved UKIP, so thanks very much for listening. Bye, guys. See ya. Thank you. Oh, tell a friend. Okay. We could not get our next guest. All right, we got to kill some time. Uh, so, so, what are you going to do, man? When? In general. I'm in a new band called Kuwait Grips. Can I get in the band? Yeah. What do I do? You play sleigh bells. Yeah. Yeah. Sleigh bells. Yeah, I I'm on board with that. Uh, so you got to uh, uh you, you gotta you gotta uh, you gotta support the troops, right? You have to. Wait, do do you have to support the troops? How? What what is the expression? Support the troops. Should we support all of the troops? The troops as a concept, but not all of them as individuals. Yeah. Okay. Until you meet them, talk with them. Until you meet them, yeah, you can't just support. But like, yo, you're a dick, but I support the army, but you're an asshole. I don't support you. We got to talk more about this band. Uh, First things first, I quit the band. Why? I don't feel like the the direction and the sound that we're going for is something I want to go for, so I just want to make it a... A cool split. I still respect what y'all are doing, but I, I just want to do my own thing. Try to bring auto tune and scatting. Scat auto tune. Scat auto tune. That's a new genre, yo.